0: It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at wrtfm.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference.
1: Six foot six above sea level.
0: I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low no power, frequency, radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth has never heard. Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Public Affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm your host, Carousel Baird. And we have a fabulous show lined up today. The Wisconsin Supreme Court has scheduled changed the election this past april um replaced conservative wisconsin uh justice patience rogensack with a progressive justice janet Protosewich and it flipped the um majority of the court from 4-3 conservative to 4-3 progressive. Now, of course, that doesn't mean people will vote a certain way, but that gives you an inkling of what can happen in the, the next session. And uh, a lot has happened already since August 1st, when Justice Janet uh took the seat. Um, Many cases do seem headed for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Now we want to talk about sort of the cases heading that way, including the Wisconsin abortion ban from the 1800s, redistricting and legislative maps, challenges to election rules, because remember, a big election is coming up in 2024. But even before that, we want to talk about what the heck is happening on the Supreme Court that has happened in the last 16 days. A lot of chaos. Um, So we have two fabulous guests joining us today to talk about that. Um, Barry Burden is joining us. He's a professor of political science at the University of Wisconsin. Hello, Barry, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Hi there, glad to be with you.
0: Always great to have you, and I'll t- tell everyone a little bit more f- about you. You are the Lyons Family Chair in Electoral Politics, and you're the Director of the Elections Research Center at UW. And the Elections Research Center is an academic analysis of national and state elections, furthering the scholarly understanding of factors that influence voter decision making and election outcomes. Woo, that's really cool work. <laughs> Thank you for leading that up, Barry. And um, our second guest today is Ruth Conniff. She's the editor-in-chief of the Wisconsin Examiner. Hello, Ruth. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. It's wonderful to have you. And a little bit more about Ruth. I know everyone in Madison and Wisconsin knows this. You were previously the editor-at-large of The Progressive. Um, You're a frequent guest on MSNBC, Good Morning America, Democracy Now!, Wisconsin Public Radio, CNN, Fox News, many more. And you've been a writer with The Nation, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and uh, The Los Angeles Times, so many other entities. It's really really fabulous. We have two powerhouses with us today, so I know it's going to be a great conversation. Um, so there's so much to talk about. Let's sort of kick it up with sort of what's happening, the infighting within the Supreme Court. Um, Ruth, do you want to sort of start us with what happened on August 1st, right when the sort of majority switched and then all these things happened that very day? Well, I mean, it was
1: interesting. The investiture, which I attended in the Capitol, was filled with giddy progressives. People are, you know, this, this was a nationally, the most expensive Supreme Court race in history and uh, nationally watched race as a bellwether for, for national politics as well as state politics. So uh, a lot of it revolved around abortion rights. Uh, a lot of it revolved around redistricting and uh, getting a new map in Wisconsin before the next census. And people are really fired up as as progressives to sort of see the Protasewicz election as an indicator of political tide turning after decades in Wisconsin. Um, On the other, you know, on the other side, right-wingers are beside themselves. (laughs) And we saw that most recently in Assembly Speaker Robin Voss's threat to impeach Janet Protasewicz saying that it would be improper for her to be involved in a decision on redistricting because during her campaign, she described the voting maps in Wisconsin as rigged. It's an interesting argument. I mean, that she should recuse because she openly stated an opinion and then was elected by a large majority of voters having stated that opinion. it's not really in line with the way that people usually look at recusal judges on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. It's sort of an ignominious history decided not to enforce a recusal rule that would have forced them to to recuse if their own donors were before them with cases. So, you know, people who have given them money appearing before them is a a clear conflict. Voss is trying to argue that having expressed a, a viewpoint demonstrates a conflict. And that's a different that's that's a different thing. So then there's the issue of, you know. There's, there's a whole bunch of issues, and I'm going to let Barry Burton talk to you, but the other big thing that has happened since Protossaits was, was seated is that the justices on the court who are losing power, the conservative justices, have were very upset to learn that the administrator of the state court system was fired by the new liberal majority. And Annette Ziegler, the chief justice, called this, this drastic overreach and compared it to a coup, Now, according to Rebecca Dallet, one of the progressive justices on the court, Ziegler had refused to meet. They'd been trying to get her to meet for months to go over these basic issues of court process. So they need to set the calendar. And that's a really big deal, uh, particularly on cases like the gerrymandering case that was filed the day after Potosay was seated. They don't take that case in the next couple of months. It's not going to change the maps for the next election. And so that's, you can see the sort of how how without getting the levers of control of the court, this new progressive majority might not actually be able to act on these these very high profile cases that everyone is watching mm. to see up. Like that. So so there's been a there's, lot of complaining a lot about in their, there. Yeah. There's been a lot of complaining about their setting process without including Ziegler. The progressive majority says they tried very hard to include her and she refused to show up for a meeting. Um, you know, they fired the guy who was answerable just to her, who sort of ran the state court system. He is complaining. He has filed an official complaint. And then the fallback, interestingly, has been um, Robin Voss, Assembly Speaker, and Koshnik, the Randy Koshnik, the guy that they fired, are saying that it's unconstitutional for the Walker appointee who's filling that position currently to serve because she's also a judge. And so, you know, a judge can't serve in multiple positions of public interest. You know, it, it's an argument, but it's a weird argument, partly because they're probably not going to get a better draw than this Walker appointee who's replaced and She's a conservative judge. Um, Interesting. And it, and it's going to be the same liberal majority that's going to make a decision about who fills that post, even if they did succeed in removing this person. So it's it seems like a lot of temper tantrums, in my view, without a whole lot of substance and without a whole lot of likelihood of moving forward. The most serious threat Voss has made is that he – He, the legislature will consider impeaching proto if she does not recuse herself from redistricting case. Okay. Because if they impeach her, governor Tony Evers is going to reappoint somebody reappoint her or appoint somebody like her to fill that spot. So these don't, these don't seem like threats that are likely to result in much. Gotcha.
0: Yes. That that, that was a, a so many different pieces. Ruth, thank you for sort of laying out the, the breadth of that. Um, Barry, sort of your thoughts, and maybe we can sort of take these piece by piece. But where would you start with sort of the conversation of what is going on with the court over the last 16 days?
2: Well, I think we've seen its dysfunction in public. I mean, this is a body of just seven people who need to work together. Uh, There won't be another Supreme Court election until 2025. So assuming there's not an impeachment (laughs) and removal, the seven of them need to work together for the next two years to resolve the most important cases that come to them in the state about everything topics we're going to be talking about today. Um, And it's different from say the legislature or even a city council. This is a small body that has to meet in person and have conversation and write opinions. It's not just about taking votes. And right now it doesn't seem like they're even willing to be in a room together. They are communicating by press release and tweet or whatever those things are called on X now and Mm -hmm. um, interviews. And, um, you know, at some point they have to get together and actually hear cases and move the court forward. So I, I think the liberals were concerned that the chief justice, who's a conservative, Annette Ziegler, would slow down proceedings that they want to move ahead very quickly on, especially the abortion and redistricting cases that are coming. And so, as Ruth says, they were calling for meetings over the summer, apparently not getting response from the chief. Though Protosawis was not on the court yet, she would join in August. Um, And so they went ahead and met and took some of these actions Ruth mentioned. They also created a small committee that's comprised of the chief and two liberal justices who are going to be able to make some of the administrative decisions about, I think, calendar and um, transparency, openness of meetings, some administrative meetings that conservatives had closed before. Uh, The chief was not happy about that, but doesn't have a lot of remedies, as Ruth says, because You know, the justices are there. There's not an election coming. Impeachment is not really going to be a productive route for Republicans who want a different makeup of the court, at least in the longer term. Um, So something has to change if the court is going to function as a body.
0: Does um, Justice Ziegler, Annette Ziegler, who's a member of the conservative, um, a conservative member of the court, um, she is the chief judge. Can you help us sort of understand that process of in general, when you think of a leader of a elected body, political or judicial, you think of a leader as having like mind of the majority of the members there. But that's not how is a leader of the court selected?
1: Well, that's an interesting history because the conservatives on the court working together with Republicans in Wisconsin changed that process when Shirley Abramson who was the great progressive chief justice, who was long listed for the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, I widely understood to be a great legal mind, hated by right wingers in Wisconsin. They wanted her to stop being the chief. At that time, chief was determined by seniority. But they, the what happened was that the Wisconsin legislature pushed through a constitutional amendment to change the process so that the chief justice is no longer the most senior member of the court. It's It's the person elected. By members of the court and Ziegler, by the way, was reelected right before this most recent election for a two year term. So she's got most of her two year term, second two year term in front of her.
0: So she is she was elected by the members of the Supreme
1: Court. Right before Protossail. Gotcha.
0: So she so this is she there's there's not going to be a change in who's the um, chief justice.
1: And here's where I think, you know, take a look at how people are behaving. And I guess Barry said, this is dysfunctional. But let's take a look at who's who's where's the dysfunction emanating from. Right. The progressive majority, the new progressive majority has not tried to remove Annette Ziegler. Now, Shirley Abramson, when she was chief, the constitutional amendment was passed to say they should elect the chief, not, you know, let the most senior member be chief. The conservative majority on the court immediately removed her in the middle of her term. They yanked her out of there. And I don't think many people doubt that if Dan Kelly had won and there were a new conservative majority on the court and there were a progressive chief, that person would not be serving in the next term. I mean, that is that is the backdrop to how the conservative majority on the Wisconsin Supreme Court has behaved. In addition to pulling all of their proceedings behind closed doors, eliminating public meetings for business of the court and saying no to recusal rules that would have said they need to recuse if they have big interests that have given them a whole bunch of money to get them elected, bringing cases to the court. They, so there's, you know, the the outrage about sort of an attack on democracy and, and the constitution by the new liberal majority. I think you have to put that in the context of what has happened with the conservative majority on the court. You know, they took things behind closed doors. They ousted Shirley Aberson as soon as they could in the middle of a term. And what the new progressive majority is doing is they tried to get a meeting with the chief to talk about the rules she didn't want anything to do with it, went on the Dan O'Donnell show instead to complain on right-wing talk radio, has you know, been unwilling to engage in this dialogue. And so they are grabbing control of the calendar and they're grabbing control of the administrator of the courts, who's now answerable to all the justices, not just to the chief justice. So those, these are procedural changes that really the new majority needs to make if they're going to move business forward. As far as their future function. The well, rules are that the majority is a quorum. So those four justices meet. They can make decisions. So Ziegler can refuse to participate and she can scream and yell. But just as, you know, they can impeach Protosewit, so they still have Evers appointing her replacement. Their decisions are going to be made with it's or without a four, three, the conservative minority. Right, so I think right. they're going to participate. I think at the end of the day, they are going to participate, although I've heard they made threats not to even show up for oral arguments. I don't think that's, I
0: mean, I would hope that wouldn't happen. And Barry, can you remind us what what is the role that and how important is all of this sort of administratively? Who how important is is it who the administrator is? What what does the administrator do? What does the chief justice do? What role does a calendar play? So before we sort of talk about all these cases, how how important is sort of the administration of the Wisconsin Supreme Court?
2: yeah you know the administrator, I think that's an invisible person to most of the public. They've never heard of this person and don't understand the role they play right. they work at the for the at the pleasure of the court and really for the chief justice. so you can think of that person as being sort of the arm of the chief. They are overseeing the budget and the schedule and administrative matters and keeping records and all of that a lot of its technical stuff, but it is also about the speed the pace at which the court proceeds. And as I mentioned, I think liberals were concerned that the administrator and the chief were going to hold up on cases that they're very eager to get to. Remember, it's been 15 years since liberals had a majority on the court. And even then, it wasn't a liberal majority the way we think of it today. So it's probably in practice been longer than that. And the court has become the place where basically all of the big policies in Wisconsin are now being made (laughs) because the governor and the Republican legislature are not able to agree on anything. you know. Tony, Tony Evers has set records for the number of vetoes issued by the governor. So just so many cases now working their way to the court. And a lot of these um, during the Evers administration especially were coming from conservative groups asking for the court to take a case immediately, jumping over lower level courts. And those groups had a lot of success, whether it was election-related cases before and after November 2020, it was stay-at-home orders and other things related to the pandemic. Uh, They were able to get to the court pretty quickly. And the the chief and the administrator can help facilitate that by setting the schedule. So you know, I think what liberals are doing is wanting to get their claws into that process now that they are the majority and not allowing the chief, if they're right about it, to you know, to drag her heels and prevent them from getting to those cases quickly.
0: So if Justice Ziegler remains the chief, but um, you were saying that there is now a sort of a new committee, um, that it's not just Justice Ziegler that makes the decision. Is that then how they get their control of the calendar, even with the chief remaining there? Well, the majority sets that the majority
1: already has those powers. The,
0: the The new liberal majority
1: didn't suddenly give the majority of powers. What the conservatives can't get used to is they're not the majority. So a lot of this stuff well, is not going to be determined by them because it's right. not solely up to the chief. It just I've,
0: isn't. And, and it, not it's not a brand new concept. The idea of when you lose power, you try to hold on to it as tight as you can, right? Progressives, And and conservatives have done that in the history of America. And we. Right. I don't know. I actually
1: I actually don't think so. You don't think think so. I mean, the redistricting
0: challenges we have in Wisconsin. Weren't they also parallel to other states that were wasn't there one other state? And I'm forgetting what that had a huge redistricting issue. There's
1: democratic gerrymandering in New Jersey. And Mm -hmm. yes, but but that's a really like 30,000 foot view. What's happening on our state Supreme Court. Is that a court that used to be a highly respected court, one of the most highly respected state courts in the nation, has devolved into this partisan bickering. And this latest round is like just taking it down so, even farther. And that is not normal. So I don't, I I feel like it's to say, oh, both sides do we it. We don't want always, to
0: normalize it. Yes. No,
1: it's not. It's not. It's highly dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional in a new way. Um, it's the politicization of the courts in a way that, you know. It it happened slowly over time as more and more money and more and more partisan actors came into what used to be sleepy state Supreme Court races. But it's also the the inflammatory language and the just the unprofessionalism of these particular justices is really, I think, within the legal community. Kind of a Shonda. Like this is not, you know, this is not normal behavior. So I mean, we have like some of the people who are the loudest on the court, like Rebecca Bradley, makes a habit of taking ad hominem attacks at her colleagues and anyone who disagrees with her, compared Ever's stay-at-home order during the pandemic to the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. And let's not forget, were it not for Justice Brian Hagenorn, a conservative who parted ways with his other conservative justices, they were gonna let the Trump challenge the twenty twenty election results go forward in Wisconsin. You know, so these same folks were talking about democracy yes. and process and rule of law, they were on the Trump team side.
0: Well the whole
1: I, in the country that I, did that. I, I wasn't
0: trying to normalize what they were doing. I was trying to acknowledge that, right, as someone that's been on the, you know, local elected Dane County board, absolutely a different body, but I've been there with 37 members and sometimes I'm on the you know the winning side and sometimes I'm clearly not on the winning side. So I I understand what it's like to be to to feel like power and then to see it go away and to to realize that. But right, I'm not trying to normalize their actions and I, I guess Barry final thoughts on this before we start to start breaking down the cases. What is the public perception of the Wisconsin Supreme Court? Are people people besides us, you know, paying attention. Does it really or is this just another unfortunate drop in the bucket of the dis the the disregard for our judicial system in America? Long time coming.
2: Yeah. So I think, first of all, the public is paying attention to the court in the Mm way they way they never have, as Ruth mentioned, these Elections used to be kind of sleepy affairs where maybe a million bucks would be spent between the candidates. And now we're talking tens of millions. So it would be hard to have lived in Wisconsin this spring and not have noticed (laughs) (laughs) the Dan Kelly, Janet Protossay with race. This was of national, actually international interest. Um, but I think it's it's been probably 10 or 15 years that the court has crept its way into public awareness. If you go back to the battles over Act 10 and redistricting and voter ID and all those things were back in 2011, 2012, the recall elections, uh, there were interpersonal disputes, let's just put it that way, on the court, accusations between two justices about a physical altercation where one may have placed that. hands on another, Yes. the kind of name calling and ad hominem stuff that Ruth mentioned began to show up then, and I think has just accelerated. And the kind of hardball politics, you know, the administrative politics of the court, taking away the power to be chief justice from the most senior member, and sort of jerking around the procedures and moving things into secret or private when they're administrative matters. All of that, I think, has gotten the public's attention, and then just the important cases that they weighed in on. You know, again, stay at home orders, <laughs> 2020 election, uh, school choice, uh, gun rights, you know, you name it. Um, and I think a lot of the bad behavior in the state legislature yeah. has sort of infected the court, you know, the unwillingness to talk across party lines and the fact that the justices actually are out campaigning for and against one another at campaign season and actively aligned with political parties, in some cases running their campaigns out-of-party offices, that stuff is new and has definitely gotten the public's interest. It has not made the court better liked, though. I'll say it, it has made it be seen in a more partisan fashion. So Democrats today are pretty happy with the new direction of the court. Republicans are incensed.
0: Well, I mean, I think there's so much more to talk about here. And, you know, perhaps there'll be a future show and conversation about impeachment proceedings if that, you know, threat moves beyond... Uh, or moves beyond just a threat from uh, Robin Voss, the head of the Wisconsin State Assembly. Um, But this is really helpful to sort of lay down the state of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. So with this vision, um, oh, and before we get to the specifics of, of some of the issues that we think are coming before the Supreme Court, I wanted to invite anyone to join the conversation. If you have any thoughts or Um, what's your opinion of the Wisconsin Supreme Court? We would love to hear from you. Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Mary Jo's ready to answer your calls. And um, Jade and Jay are in the studio. They can patch you through to join us on the air, or they can pass a message on to uh, me, Barry, and Ruth. We'd be happy to take your call or your question at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Okay, so let's sort of get right into it. Maybe a little bit of the summary of of the legal issues that are happening and, and well, how they're headed to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. I wanted to start with the Wisconsin criminal abortion ban. The law, and we've talked about it on the show. I know so many people know about this. The law from 1849 that uh, sort of got new life after um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That criminalizes abortion, but does it? Uh, Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call filed a lawsuit in June 2020 um, challenging. Can some either of you sort of remind me what was he arguing in the challenge of that um, law?
1: The the basic argument is that there's been so much law since that 1849 ban that it basically obviates the 1849 ban because you can't regulate a practice that is banned. And so since abortion has been regulated since 1849 in various ways, there are more recent laws that supersede that 1849 ban. And therefore the 1849 ban should not be viewed as in effect.
0: Okay. Now it's before currently before a district judge in uh, Dane County circuit court and a district judge uh, just ruled uh, judge Schlipper. Uh, I think, what was it? last month, uh, July, that um, sort of sort of be a a point that I didn't realize was even being made, that there is no 1849 abortion ban. What did she mean by that? Barry, can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, she she read the law differently, I think, than most people had assumed it was interpreted. And she said, you know, the law essentially bans non-consensual abortions. The killing of a fetus against the wishes of the mother but the the pregnant person but she said she didn't believe that a consensual abortion procedure where the pregnant person and the doctor or the provider have agreed on the practice was even banned by the 1849 law so there may Mm -hmm. not be a case in her view so it was a kind of a radical reinterpretation of things you know as ruth said the attorney general was saying essentially this law is so old Uh, it's sort of out of practice and new things, new understandings have come into line since then. And those new understandings wouldn't have been in place if anyone thought the 1849 law was actually being enforced. Uh, But the Dane County judge sort of added, I think, an additional wrinkle. And um, this, you know, this case will work its way up, presumably through the appeals courts and into the Wisconsin Supreme Court this term. So it's, it's on a faster track. Though just, you know, sort of a warning to progressives who were giddy in April and so excited in early August, this stuff doesn't happen immediately. So there's a new progressive majority, that's for sure, and it's going to be in place for at least a couple years. But it does take time for the wheels of justice to operate.
0: Well, remind us of that, Barry. So what is the process, especially because you made reference to sort of under um, in, in the last few years. Uh, some uh, filings that would jump straight to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Is is there an official process for that or that's sort of where the administrator comes in? And how do we know the timeline for cases?
2: Well, I'm I'm not as expert on the details of this as I should be, but let me give the broad outlines. I think the path for most cases is to start in a county district court. So someone would file a complaint there and that would turn into a a suit that's heard by a district judge. The losers in that case could then appeal the case to the appeal appellate level, which are a higher level court that covered many counties. And then the losers at that level could appeal and take their case to the state Supreme Court. So it's very much like the federal system where we have trial courts, circuit appeals courts, and in the US Supreme Court, we have three levels in Wisconsin as well. So that's what's happening with the abortion case. It starts in Dane County court, it's working its way up, but it's also possible for Um, a litigant to bring a case and ask for the Supreme Court to take an original action, essentially to grab the case and pull it right to the Supreme Court. And I think there usually needs to be an argument for why that has to happen. Okay. So it, it may be that there's a special constitutional issue that's being raised that a district court really wouldn't have authority to resolve or there's a timeliness issue and with the election issues say in November 2020 there was a timeliness that those things needed to be resolved by the time the electors met in December at the state capitol say or certainly by the time the electoral college votes were counted in Washington so sometimes the court will move those things up higher on a, on the schedule or take them you know to grab them from lower level courts. Because they, they need to be resolved in a timely fashion. So I think those are the ways those things happen. But the court has some discretion over what it takes when those requests are
0: made. So as of right now, the lawsuit regarding the abortion ban, the one that's filed right now, that was filed by Josh Call, attorney, Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call, uh, last June, is, is currently in the Dane County District Court level working its way through that
1: and the significance of that schlipper decision and in addition to surprising everybody with this novel reading of the abortion ban that it didn't actually apply to abortion is that it allows the case to continue she rejected an effort to kill the case and that was that was when she also made this made this reading of the law but she the case will continue in her court and i don't think anybody else will be appealed to the state supreme court
0: and Ruth, what is sort of your, your take of this case and, and what the S- Wisconsin Supreme Court would think of it when it comes before it? I know that Justice Protossay, described herself as someone that is pro-choice, although she didn't, I don't recall her saying specifics about the uh, 1849 law, but maybe you can correct me if I'm incorrect on that. But w- what do we think is sort of going to happen?
1: I think the liberal majority on the courts is going to overturn the 1849 ban. I mean, I think that's why Wisconsinites came out and voted, you know, by 11 points for Protosewitz over Kelly. I think that was on the ballot. And um, I no. don't think anybody has any doubt about where the majority stands on it.
0: We had, a, we had a show, I'll remind everyone if you want to listen to the fun archives, we had a show right after the April election that was about abortion being on the ballot and how abortion was on the ballot throughout the country in this race and on other races where it wasn't the topic, but it was the underlying issue that motivated many, many voters, if not all voters. Um, all right, thanks, and thank you for reminding us that. Okay, so how about the next law, um, the issue of redistricting. Now, is that an issue that will go automatically to the state Supreme Court or does that work its way through the trial level? And uh, to remind everyone, there have been two lawsuits filed since August 1st regarding redistricting. And Wisconsin maps have been called uh, some of the most gerrymandered maps in the country was decided by a federal court in um uh, a federal appeal appellate court that our maps were unconstitutional, but the U S Supreme court th- through a couple of different ups and downs decided that this wasn't an issue that belonged in federal court. It belonged in state court. So here we are. W- what do we think will happen here? And um, maybe remind us even the recent state court decisions on redistricting before Janet Protasiewicz took over Barry, do you want to start us on this one?
2: Yeah, boy, we could do a show on this pretty easily. Um, Just a a quick reminder on the backdrop here. For decades, redistricting in Wisconsin was hit stalemate because there was divided government, a governor of one party, legislature of the other. And it almost always got kicked into federal court and the courts imposed some kind of solution on the districts or forced the parties to come together. Uh, That changed in 2011. So that was the round after the 2010 census, because Wisconsin had unified government for the first time in half a century during the redistricting cycle, Scott Walker as Republican with Republicans in the legislature. They passed through a a pretty effective set of maps to help the GOP that survived scrutiny in the Wisconsin Supreme Court and in a case about the assembly districts that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court uh, just before the pandemic. So those districts withstood a lot of legal challenge. Fast forward to 2020, the next census is done. The new districts need to be drawn in 2021. We now have divided government. Uh, As Ruth said, or you did carousel, through some legal machinations, the case got routed or the decision got routed from federal courts to state Supreme Court by conservative activists who were eager to have it decided there. And the justices on the court essentially said, we would like to adopt districts that look as much like the existing districts as possible, what's called a least change scenario. We don't want, we're not political actors, they said. We don't want to get involved in that process. That's a political process. Those districts have already survived legal challenges at the federal and state level. So we know they're good. Let's just update the districts as little as possible to account for population changes or other things and not really get into the business of redrawing the map wholesale. Uh, that went through a couple iterations, but eventually the districts that got adopted, which actually came from Tony Evers in large part, look a lot like the existing districts. So it essentially locked in another decade's worth of U.S. House districts, State Senate districts, and Assembly districts that look a lot like the previous ones and are really advantageous to Republicans. So, you know, groups gotcha. on the progressive side of things have been really eager to get at those districts, and now with the new court, They're able to do that. And so there were these two cases filed right away within the first week or two of the new liberal majority asking for the court to take this case immediately. It does have a timeliness to it because the new districts, if they were going to be used for next year's congressional and state legislative elections, would need to be in place by early 2024 because primaries happen in August. Yes, Candidates would need to file in the spring. Candidates are making decisions actually probably now and into the fall about whether, whether or not So they need to know what districts they live in in order to run, and the parties have to know where they can recruit candidates um, and those kinds of things. So, you know, these progressive groups are asking the court to jump on these cases and act quickly and to take it up as an an original action rather than wait for it to uh, filter its way up through the layers of the court system.
0: And have we heard from the courts yet then? So, Ruth, now now what happens? So these lawsuits have been filed. They're asking the courts to take it on the sort of expedited track because of the time um, times of the essence to this. I, I guess the court could technically say no. We anticipate they would say yes. But what happens?
1: Uh, well, the court's going to meet on September 7th. It'll be interesting to see whether the chief justice shows up for that meeting. But this is exactly why what we were talking about before on process is so important, because the liberal majority yes. is gonna have to make these kinds of decisions. Not just accepting the case, which they can clearly do as a majority, but but scheduling it and getting it rolling in time to for new maps to be in place and be effective in the next election. And I think everybody expects that that is what is going to happen. And there's going to be a lot of drama about it because a lot of power is at stake. I mean, the Wisconsin maps disproportionately favor Republicans to such a degree that in election after election, as Democrats win in statewide races, yes. they manage to hang on to overwhelming majorities in the state legislature. Yes, So a supermajority in the state Senate and close to that in the Assembly. So new maps, what's interesting is, so new maps could come about in various ways. The state Supreme Court could actually draw the maps. They could go back to previous maps and choose those. Mm. They could as Barry said, the least change maps that Evers drew, although that least change doctrine, like just to appreciate. And I mean, you presented it in such a fair and neutral way. It's wonderful. You know, the least change doctrine was imposed after the Republicans going into the back room at a local law firm. And the secret process drew maps that just hugely favor them, drew districts that are not contiguous, which is an issue in this lawsuit. You know, we actually did a TikTok here at the Wisconsin Examiner on um, Jimmy Anderson's district, where two of our reporters went out and drove across all the non-contiguous part in a different district to get to the other side of Jimmy Anderson's district, which is, you know, a bunch of little bumps that are unconnected. So they, they drew this crazy gerrymandered set of maps so that they would be in power and they would not face a challenge either from a Democrat or even from right. a moderate right. Republican. They're only answerable to their base. So that's but, a lot that's at
0: stake. But Ruth, I mean, I think that goes back to your point of, OK, everyone's saying, hey, let's be fair. Hey, let's come up with a reason approach. Well, it's interesting that you're saying this now because you've already sort of put your thumb on the scale. Um, and so right. being calm right. so and reasonable, change, correct.
1: Let's take the map that is overwhelmingly disproportionately Republican and make sure that we always, always have it. and We never go correct. back to a correct. Map that's more balanced in a 50-50 state. We are a 50-50 state. Right. So I right. think the interesting thing is when you looked at what Evers did with the People's Maps Commission and they did all this study of communities of interest and what would a fair map really look, look like, they came up with a map that's slightly Republican. And at the end of the day, it may be because of the way that, you know, voters are crammed into cities if they're Democratic voters in Wisconsin and spread widely over large geographic areas in rural parts of the state if they're Republicans. All of this fighting will yield maps where the Republicans still have a majority, but not not, but not to the level insurmountable dominance and also have districts where they have to listen to a variety of voters with a variety of different points of view. So they're pulled more to the middle and they're not always just worried about a primary challenge and talking to the the election deniers and the people that they don't actually agree with, but they have to pretend that they do or they have to satisfy because there's no challenge on the other side. So I I actually think it's, you know, we don't know on process if the court will draw maps, if they'll hire experts to draw maps, if they'll go back to older maps. You know, there are a lot of options before them as they look at this challenge. And, you know, we don't know yet what that's going to look like.
0: But I appreciate you reminding us that, right, redrawing of the maps it means so much and we've had so many conversations over the years about the lack of civility in politics not that politics was always the super friendliest job in the world but just the denigration of civility that has gone beyond and beyond um that didn't exist you know a decade or two ago and the idea of making communities that are not so extreme one party or the other on any level, it it brings a requirement of you got to talk to each other. You got to listen to each other. I mean, these are not to overstate it, but these are things that can go towards healing a community, changing the way we have our maps drawn. Barry, it seems like you want to chime in here or no?
2: Well, I, I have a little different thought about that, Ooh, you know. Okay. You you can get extremist politicians and incompetent people in office, <laughs> even in a competitive area.
0: Oh, yes, you can. Yes. I mean,
2: Wisconsin, Wisconsin's two U.S. senators could not be more different from one another when it comes to their temperaments, their voting records, their priorities. They represent the same constituents. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. right. uh, the maps are not going to solve all of our problems in politics. I just want to put that warning there from a political scientist's point of view. There are some very specific things that fall out from having bad maps. But they're, they're clearly a distortion of the public's preferences right now. The The best estimates are that Republicans get about 9% more in seats than they should based on the vote totals alone. So I, th- I think Ruth is probably right. Whatever remedy the court ends up coming up with probably doesn't hand the Democrats majorities in the state legislature, but it probably brings them within striking distance. You know, there are probably maps that will have a Republican lean to them of a couple percentage points, and Democrats would need lots of things going well for them to win the majority, even under those new maps. Probably, you know, a great national tailwind and lots of good candidates and funding advantages and all kinds of things. So probably Democrats are going to continue to be at some disadvantage in the state legislature, almost no matter what procedure the court would come up with to replace the existing maps. Um... But it, but it becomes closer to sane and, inter- yeah. inter- and rather than wildly imbalanced.
0: I appreciate that. Yes. I want to remind everyone we're talking right now with Ruth Conniff, um, who is the editor in chief of the Wisconsin Examiner and Barry Burden, a professor of political science at the University of Wisconsin and director of the Elections Research Center. If you want to join the conversation with us about the Wisconsin Supreme Court, we'd love to hear from you. Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, let's move on to another topic that I think is big, sort of related, which is the 2024 elections or any elections, really, but sort of the elections policy that exists in Wisconsin. Um Rules as to absentee voting, drop boxes, voter ID, all of those things that regulate, you know, how and who can vote, when you can vote, all of those things. There was a lawsuit filed just last month, July 2023, regarding the use of drop boxes um, and a a couple of other things requiring witnesses and absentee ballots. Um, Ruth, can you tell us a little bit about that lawsuit and just sort of the big picture conversation that we think may be coming up about sort of election policies?
1: So the thing that happened this week was that a Dane County judge denied a request by the Republican, le- Republican leaders of the legislature to dismiss a lawsuit about absentee ballot witness signatures. And that lawsuit seeks to eliminate guidance from the elections commission on absentee ballot witness signatures. Basically, it used to be that clerks could fill in a a zip code that ballots wouldn't be invalidated. They could be cured. Yeah, they could be cured. And that's, that's what this lawsuit is about. They want to um, eliminate guidance um, so that it's, so that there's not, so that ballots aren't invalidated accidentally. Like there, are, there aren't extra legal invalidations of ballots. There's there's a lot of confusing kind of variation in what that guidance is for election officials. And I think there's a concern that it's unclear and that to be on the safe side, a lot of votes are going to get thrown in. So that's, that's that. The ballot dropbox issue has been a big issue for disability rights organizations in the state because there are people who relied on somebody else to turn in their ballot, relied on ballot drop boxes. You know, the idea that voter fraud should be our primary concern, as if there were tons and tons of people who are committing themselves to going to the polls multiple times and voting, instead of the actual problem, which is that some people need assistance to vote. And so curtailing that assistance and making it harder for people to vote has been an issue, particularly for, for disabled voters. And and that's they have been leading a lot of the legal efforts on the drop boxes um, and on the, you know, the insistence that the voter, him or herself, has to put the ballot in the, has to turn in their own ballot, you know, and it has to go straight to the, you know, to a limited number of places, not including anymore in Wisconsin drop, drop boxes. It's interesting that all, I mean, all of this comes out of the, you know, the sort of the big lie that Donald Trump won the 2020 presidential election and it was stolen from him. And the idea that there's rampant election fraud, none of which has ever turned out to be true. Um, But the effect of it, although it motivates a lot of Republican voters, is not necessarily to help Republicans win office. The effect of curtailing people's access to the ballot and particularly absentee voters' access to the ballot doesn't really increase Republicans. You know, it hurts Republican voters as well as Democratic voters. So it's not clear that it's a very... Uh, straight line path like unlike gerrymandering which we were just talking about where you know republicans drew maps that favored them the voter stuff is is, is actually more complicated and 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 recent studies don't really show that it helps republicans particularly much.
0: interesting interesting and Barry, didn't the wisconsin supreme court rule just recently on drop boxes so help remind me of that and then remind me what What the process is of the the sort of the yin and the yang and the you go back and forth. I mean, we're going to get a little whiplash if every every time the Supreme Court changes, then we're going to bring back the rule, the same lawsuits from a year before.
2: Yeah, it was, I think, just over a year ago, the state Supreme Court ruled that drop boxes were not permitted in the state. Under their interpretation of the law, because they're not mentioned in state statutes anywhere, they're not permitted or banned; they're just not mentioned. And this rule that Ruth mentioned that a voter has to deliver the ballot themselves. So, you know, they they ruled that you know a spouse cannot put their husband or wife's ballot into the mailbox at their own home for them, or walk it into the clerk's office when they deliver their own ballot. There there was some guidance afterwards to try to be account to be accessible for voters who have disabilities. Uh, that was the result of an action in federal court. But aside from that, those those came out together in one ruling from the state Supreme Court. So I think these new cases that have been filed want to revisit those decisions, obviously, but I think on different terms. It won't Mm -hmm. be relitigating exactly the old cases, hoping that the justices somehow (laughs) change their minds or the one new justice flips things. I think it will be under probably different provisions of state law. And so and and the same with redistricting cases, you might say, haven't we litigated those to death? We've had lots of cases over the last dozen years around the maps. But these two cases on redistricting are bringing them under different arguments in the state constitution. So they should be novel in a way for the justices to consider.
0: And all of these arguments, the redistricting and the uh, use of draw boxes and absentee voting, is that all being based on the Wisconsin Supreme Court? I'm sorry, Wisconsin Constitution?
2: Yeah, either the Constitution or state law. Yeah, that's, you know, that's what happens when you get into state court. What what the federal law has to say really doesn't matter. As long as we're not violating the U.S. Constitution or Voting Rights Act or those kinds of things, this is really about provisions of state elections. And the U.S. Constitution does give the states a lot of authority to run elections the way they want, which mm-hmm. is why we get this tremendous variety across the states from
0: 50 you know, different ways.
2: Yeah, differences in everything from voter ID requirements to voter registration laws to early voting and all the rest.
1: So, In terms of the redistricting, however, I think it's widely expected that if the state Supreme Court decides in a way that Republicans don't like, that they will try to appeal that to the U.S. Supreme Court and the reason, I mean, we talked about this with the Didn't old, the Supreme they,
0: Court just tell us they don't do state redistricting, but they'll well, figure out this, a way to change their they mind.
1: They have not been consistent on that, mm-hmm. right? They have not been consistent and they did intervene and they did force, you know, the, the, uh, this, you know, they backed up the least change doctrine and the idea that, you know, we couldn't have this completely redrawn map in Wisconsin. So they have said that partisan, gerrymandering is not a concern for the federal courts and that they're out, they're out and the federal courts can't decide anything that has to do with partisan gerrymandering. So we'll see, see if they're consistent on that because, um, you know, the, the Republican Party of Wisconsin is bound to appeal a decision it doesn't like to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is a far more favorable forum for them. And they've lost that forum in the State Supreme Court.
0: Really fascinating. Well, in our final minutes here, Again, it's been so wonderful talking with the both of you. I'm just sort of getting a an understanding of where the Wisconsin Supreme Court is right now in the past 16 days, and a little bit of a preview of what we should all be paying attention to and and expecting to see as uh, cases move forward. Um, Barry, our final in our final minutes here, what is the next steps? What should people be paying attention to that want to uh, see the most fair and uh, judicious Supreme Court that we can have?
2: Well, I think things to watch in the next few weeks at least are going to be what happens at that September meeting when the justices finally get into a room together, assuming yeah. all seven of them attend. That's going to be, I think, our first good sign as to how they're going to operate as a group. And then I, I expect more cases to be filed. You know, for the last 10 years, it's been conservative groups who have seen the court as a favorable venue for them and have been bringing all kinds of cases. And it's now going to be different kinds of plaintiffs coming forward and a lot of conservative groups sitting on the sidelines trying to play defense. So I I think, you know, even the arguments that are being made are going to be quite different this year than we've seen uh, in recent history, at least.
0: I look forward to sort of breaking down those decisions. That's really interesting to think about. I hadn't uh, thought about that. Um, Ruth, your your final thoughts here.
1: I mean, you know, Ann Walsh Bradley said in her speech up at the Proto-Sewitz Investiture that the Wisconsin Supreme Court needs to return to the days when it was a really highly respected body. And we have gone a long way from that. There's so much money and so much politics in the court now. And so I think if uh, if they can get along and work together and you know weigh in on some not all of the things that they weigh in on our hot partisan political issues you know we'll see but i i actually i'm not very optimistic about that i think we've gone really far into more and more expensive races more and more politicized races and so the court has become you know just another extension of this sort of siloed political battle that's going on all over our country all the time so you know maybe with a, a a fair map, we could, as you said, come back to a place where at least citizens, the issues that citizens care about are heard in the legislature. And I think that that would be the best, kind of the best possible outcome, that we wouldn't have issues that have overwhelming public interest and public support just summarily rejected when they gavel in and out of special sessions or just refuse to take up things that people really care about. And so that could, that could start to point us in a, in a better direction.
0: Well, it's been fabulous talking with both of you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and really explaining all of this to us. Uh, Barry Burden, Professor of Political Science at the University of Wisconsin, thank you so much for joining us today, Barry.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: It's always great to talk with you. And Ruth, uh, Editor-in-Chief of the Wisconsin Examiner, thank you, Ruth, for all of your work and for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's always fun. I love this show. This is my favorite thing that I do. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening and joining us today. Huge thank you to Mary Jo for staffing the phones, um, Jade for producing, Jay for engineering, Shali, our news director. It's been wonderful talking with everyone. We will be back next week, so we'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. The bureaucratic office sends you merry go round But the KKK police the streets by blood houndin'. Interest on the credit card just
2: keeps on compounding, but the FCC can never shut